Mr. Pop. Dark. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. Last year, Fantasy Flight released a new scenario pack called Guardians of the Abyss, featuring a spooky trip to the Egyptian pyramids. We didn't get to do an episode about it when it was released, but for today's episode, we wanted to talk about a recent playthrough that we just finished and give you our review of this scenario pack. So, to help us out, we recruited our friend Alex. Hi. Hi, Alex. <laughs> Last time we had Alex on the show, we helped him build a very unique deck for his favorite investigator, Skids O'Toole. Yeah, and I, and I got to finally play with it uh, with a few upgrades during this mission. and <laughs> Some of those good, good new skid cards that got released. Yeah. No, <laughs> oh, I yeah. that's what we, we added, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so uh, if we were kind of inspired by Alex's choice, and uh, we decided to take the Emerald Challenge. Uh, we played with all four rogues. So we did it. It's a real thing that happened. Uh, we're going to tell you about it. Regrettably so. So on today's episode, you can hear... <laughs> All about our experience, and we'll also talk a little bit about just side stories and scenario packs in general. Uh, oh, and of course, uh, there will be some spoilers uh, for Guardians of the Abyss. Yeah, if you're into spooky Egypt slumber time, and you haven't done it yet, we advise you to still listen to the episode because we want you to listen to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> if if you look if you like looking at a big sand triangle in the desert, getting kind of scared and then falling asleep, then you should run, don't walk to your nearest game store. To buy Guardians of the Abyss. And then listen to the episode. Um, but just, just to kind of summarize how things went. I mean, I think things went pretty well. We did get the good resolution at the end of the second scenario, right? Right. And uh, one of us was, is it killed or defeated when you just run out of health or sanity? Defeated. defeated. One of us was defeated in uh, in the first scenario, the uh, the Eternal Slumber, but mostly it went pretty okay. Does anyone want to kind of like start with how the first scenario went and kind of how we, how we worked through it? So... Uh, the first scenario of Guardians of Abyss is called the Eternal Slumber. That's correct, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of a weird scenario where like each act is like drastically different on like what's going on on the map. So like the first act, you have like or it's not each act, maybe it's each agenda, but the first the first act you have like seven uh, doom before the map changes and you have to like try to like, you know, like in the streets of Cairo, like trying to interrogate people to find out like why everyone's falling asleep. So it's like, it's like pretty, and it's pretty fast paced, like timing wise to try to like uh, get all the guys similar to like, uh, like midnight masks or uh, it's, it's like a little mini like midnight masks yeah. as like the preview for the rest of the scenario. So I was playing Preston and I was trying to do uh, the big money Preston build where he uh, tries to get a bunch of money and gets a bunch of benefits from that. And before he gets going, it was a little rough because I couldn't really get very many clues. But once I built up a little <laughs> bit of money and I could like just spend my inheritance to do streetwise, I think I was able to help get clues pretty well. So, and we should say that this was, um, so because we were playing in, we were playing kind of like a hybrid standalone campaign mode, which might be something that we just made up and doesn't actually <laughs> exist. 
but we um we we started as if we were doing a standalone and then we just continued into the second scenario from this kind of pair right so that means that we the rule for standalones is you can start with up to nine xp of cards in your deck or you can start with more than that if you're willing to put additional basic weaknesses in your deck right yeah 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 i was running i think most of us were running with 19 experience yes maybe not maybe not uh, dan I, w- I was only running with nine because i'm good at this game and i didn't want to put amnesia <laughs> in my deck well you you were playing like the the best greed character finn so well, oh yeah that's on brand right i mean that's of course um, <laughs> yeah uh, no well and and i and also so about your preston deck i mean this is kind of interesting because you're also playing preston for our kind of main playthrough of circle undone but in that you're playing this kind of deranged millionaire with an axe kind of a build and this is like a this is a very different type of Preston deck right yeah they're, they're definitely two very different versions because that that's like a dark horse with a fire axe try to like use your money to pump fire axe <laughs> or on like expensive expensive events and just never have it stockpiled build which has a uh, very varying degrees of success like once it gets going it's good but you know it could run into some trouble if you don't have a fire axe out. yeah and then this build is more like clue focused because he like pumps up his money so he can use like um, Lulu Santiago and his extra actions. I I had Dario in there. I wasn't as happy with that choice, but yeah, he pumps up his money and then he can use like the big money cards. Uh, like uh, the names I just forgot. Uh, the one though. <laughs> uh, hang on, hang on. Uh, Cardbot. What's the name of the card Ben's thinking of? Well connected. Well connected. Well connected. So yeah, but well connected, and then also the skill card. Uh, what is that? What is that one card called? Cardbot. Money talks. Oh, thank you. Money talks. Oh yes. Uh, so I had those. Uh, I hadn't actually opened up the circle or uh, the secret name yet to add the the new mini, big money card from that, like Intel report. Otherwise, I would have used that too. But it, it worked pretty well. Like once you have my money, once the money engine's going on that. Uh, like I can like avoid failing horribly on the will test and stuff. Anyway, that was the kind of deck I was playing. Uh, why don't you guys share what you did? Yeah, so I played a Safina deck. Um, so Safina is an event-centric investigator that basically can store cards under herself and kind of use them with this card called the Painted World, which is her signature card. And she can kind of like use... She she has four, five wards all the time, five uh, shrugambles all the time, things like that. So <laughs> my idea going into it with her was that I can use Olive and Dark Prophecy and all of the things that let you pull extra tokens to kind of benefit from using the the spooky symbols, but pick the worst possible scenario to do this in. I think because the skull <laughs> is probably the most one of the most brutal in the game as it as it aligns with the scenario and we'll get to talking about how the skull is relevant in in the whole thing but it it didn't work so well about half of the time and uh that's a lot of the time to be playing especially the first scenario uh but i i love playing safina she's a lot of fun i was mainly going for a combat oriented build with a lot of spells uh shriveling and uh song of the dead and trying to hit those skulls with the song of the dead by helping you know olive and and dark prophecy using that kind of a stuff so that was kind of the the idea of my deck going into it um i wanted to kind of do the the cheeky thing with um mesmerizing gaze is that I, i'm saying it wrong hypnotic gaze there we go hypnotic gaze hypnotic gaze and uh, Eldritch Inspiration and doubling the effect to make enemies bonk themselves twice. And that never happened 
because I never had any money. Because I never put any rogue cards in my deck. I only put mystic cards in the deck and never had any money. But it it went well and it was it was enjoyable nonetheless. That's weird because I definitely had a lot of money like the whole time. I very specifically remember did, a point you, of the mission. Do where... you not have anybody giving you money every turn? Like, like <laughs> yeah, Dane, family. were you not somehow receiving the rent checks from the people that live on land owned by your family? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least you sold some of your paintings, right? Like, I'm just, I'm know. just a lowly artist. <laughs> it was a that first scenario was a really big moment for uh, people having way too much money and not having any useful. And by people, he means everybody. So I was. I was playing, I, I of course was playing Finn, the, the best green character, the, the green god, the Emerald King, the, the Lord of all rogues himself. Uh, and I was, I was playing mostly kind of like a, a clue focused build but with some agility stuff to evade things, which is normally what you do with Finn. So lockpicks and stuff like that. I had uh, Dr. Milan, uh, the, the, the good ally. So, and the, the first, it was kind of funny because the first scenario, I definitely felt like I drew my kind of like acceleration cards pretty early like i had my one hot streak pretty early in the game and so i had a lot of money i didn't really have a whole lot of stuff to spend it on but went pretty well the second scenario which we'll talk about later i kind of had the opposite way i was broke for the whole game because i never actually had a chance to fire off like a hot streak early and kind of build that money lead so that was kind of tough but the deck was fun it's it's like the pretty standard fin deck that you play um if you can get pickpocketing out it's just ridiculous because you can usually arrange it to evade something most turns and then without spending a real action, you probably evade something. You probably succeed by two. You probably get uh, a resource and a card. It also works well with cigarette case. So it's it's a pretty good deck. Obviously, the vulnerability is, you know, will tests. But um, Guardians of the Abyss, the encounter deck does have some will stuff in it. But I kind of ended up kind of lucky and I didn't really see the worst of it. And I also had... I wonder why you know, that, that was. I mean... <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, the one that I really hated was, is it Slumber? The one where at the beginning of your turn, you have to test will or lose an action? Yes. Yeah, sleepy time. Yeah. yeah. That one's really <laughs> brutal. And uh, I, I was definitely like kind of saving my you handle this ones for that card. And I don't think I ever even drew one. So uh, way to go. Way to go, Finn. Good job, Finn. Uh, you know, Never best, tired. Best Always coffee. Here. Really good. Nerf, nerf Finn, everybody. He's too good. He's just too good. And uh, I, as many of you remember from episode 8, the first and I <laughs> contend probably best deck building in Dynamite. <laughs> Whoa, that's some wow. shade. You guys Alex. have ever listened to. Uh, I had a Oof. skids deck, and the premise of it was that I would do very little but make money. <laughs> and, uh, and then try to either, I'm out of here. Or taunt a lot of enemies onto me, onto myself, and then I'll see you in hell. And the uh, the problem with playing this two this two episode <laughs> campaign was uh, I couldn't really do that because <laughs> then I was just dead. Um, you, so we you also I think that when you made that deck, you kind of had in mind that you would uh, be a hilarious burden on your more competent teammates. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this time we were all playing green, <laughs> so. No, that's what I was going to say. You know, I mean, the deck is called Skin Saves the Day, and we amped up how much I could fight, and I had money in the first in the first campaign, and I think I fought pretty well because I started with an you, Ace of Swords. You kind of did save the day, And a cop yeah. and a machete, and I killed lots of things. And then, very proudly for Skin's O'Toole in the second campaign, uh, I got the last two clues we needed, which seems hey, almost oh yeah, impossible to imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was also, I think, the only thing Skid's did in that whole second scenario. Well, yeah, that's true, but... <laughs> Except for throwing dynamite at things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did, throw, he did manage to throw dynamite both well, scenarios. Re- re- remember the goal. If you have a lot of money, you can maybe do something cool. <laughs> I mean, I would say that. I would say that. I think the deck lived up to its its name and its pedigree. It really did. It saved the day. I never resigned, which was upsetting. 
Um, and I blew up no trains, even though I really wanted to. So I think, it, you know, like, uh, mostly a success. I Obviously, this deck was built for the long haul, for, for a good seven, eight episode campaign. And uh, so it's disappointing not to taunt and blow yourself up more often. But well, yeah, there's always the future. We'll definitely have to take that Skids build through, like, a full campaign one of these oh, days. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely yeah. sometime we'll go into the jungle and I'll just blow myself up on arrows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, so, okay. So we kind of started talking about that first scenario. The one thing that I remember about the first scenario above all else is it's really like two or three little mini scenarios stitched together. One thing we realized in the process of playing it, which took a very long time was, oh, uh, eternal slumber is kind of eternal. It's probably the longest <laughs> scenario that they've released for this game so far by a fair amount. So if you're playing this, definitely just keep that in mind. This isn't one to play when you're like, oh, we need to finish in two hours so we can catch a train or something. <laughs> At least not with four people. Uh... Also, Skids will try to blow up the train, so watch out for that too. I would say as a casual player, the length of time it took did make me find the scenario to be less compelling. Mm. And at the same time, because it's a side a side scenario, there's not much built around what's going on. Like you have people are falling asleep, you're investigating people falling asleep. I don't know if you've all played all of these other scenarios. There's lots of people falling asleep in lots of these Arkham Horror scenarios. (laughs) Why this version of people falling asleep mattered more than other versions, I wasn't really that clear on. And so it wasn't (laughs) it didn't have an obvious clear hook to me as somebody who hasn't you know, who isn't already immediately invest in just playing every one of these these games as they come out as these campaigns as they come out you didn't appreciate the story text when i read it with my uh, <laughs> vast array of slightly different ben voices yeah <laughs> you had you had this master uh, dungeon master here yeah. you know reading stuff to you that, that wasn't enough to make i mean sense. i appreciated that you took the time to read it but <laughs> no i i do think i would be really curious to get kind of a behind the scenes peek at how this was made we'll probably never know but I almost wonder if, was this possibly like they were working on making a whole Egyptian campaign and they ended up kind of collapsing like four or five scenarios down into two and releasing it this way? Because it really does seem like that first scenario could have been two or three separate yeah. ones. And the second scenario, even two, kind of could have been a couple separate ones. I mean, maybe. One of the cooler parts, I think, in the first half, I think as well as the second, there there's always some sort of like kind of scene transition where you're kind of in the Cairo Bazaar, walking around and kind of talking with people and kind of accomplishing some objectives. All the while, you know, the overarching uh, clock is ticking. And then all of a sudden it kind of shifts to going out into the dunes and exploring on Camelback with Brendan Fraser uh, in The Mummy. And and then, uh, you know, you come back and in the second scenario, you kind of just go to a completely different dimension and and there's there's definitely i think something to be said about them having been able to break that into at least six packs right like being in the scenario or being in the the bazaar for one whole pack and and kind of doing a more of a midnight mask sort of thing but i i wasn't unhappy with it i think that i enjoyed i enjoyed the way that that we kind of broke out into the desert and that's that felt really cool but yeah i i, I feel the same way i don't know if like I, I'm very, I'm a little doubtful that there was like, oh, let's do an Egyptian campaign. And they like started to sketch it out and they're like, uh, you know, let's condense this down maybe. But, uh, cause it definitely doesn't, I don't think like you could make each one of these acts into like its own full scenario uh, and make it super interesting no, but, without but adding I'm more. I'm just saying like, this does it. have such a different structure from most of the scenarios and the, even the other standalones that it makes me curious to know if whether, makes me curious to know kind of how they arrived at the current oh, state of it. It's... I also, I do remember 
back when they first announced that this was coming out like a year ago, we were excited for it, but we were also a little bit disappointed because we felt, oh, the fact that they're doing these two kind of side quest scenarios for Egypt makes it less likely that we're getting a full-on Egyptian right. campaign yeah, at some yeah. point. Yeah. Although, although you never know, that could still happen. I mean, e- even though it was mentioned in the intro, I don't think we actually go to any pyramids in this <laughs> in these scenarios. Uh, maybe we're standing outside of one. There's like a sphinx at some point, so... But uh, hmm. no, no getting trapped inside of a tomb or anything when and having a Neprin Ka or whatever popping out. Although, I think I think Neprin Ka was like name-dropped, but... Indeed he was. Yeah, the uh, one of the one of the cooler Eldritch Horror uh, ancient ones. Yeah. So yeah, like the, I guess we can talk a little bit about like more specifics about the two scenarios or. Sure. One thing that I thought was in the first part of the first scenario, it it was, I don't want to say that I didn't enjoy playing it, but it, it was, it was long. And so it's, it's like everybody said, it's like midnight masks and these people keep appearing and you have to, we have to kind of make them appear and then you have to deal with them and then they make you go someplace else to do a different thing. And I would say structurally, like it, felt a little repetitive to me even though it's like you don't have that much time game time to do anything right and there are all these kind of tasks that seem like maybe you could just do them and there's a reason for that but they're so obviously linked to the individual people that then you become it becomes like this kind of weird game where like well, i don't need to do these things so like i already joked about this but i really wanted to blow up a train and <laughs> there never was a reason for me to do it so i didn't do it um and maybe i should have just because i was interested in doing it blown the train up but the game really kind of Felt a little bit like it was telling me, don't waste your time on this, do these other things, and do them in a way that's going to maximally take the most time possible, because somebody's going to appear in one place, and then you're going to deal with them and go someplace else to deal with a different part of the the campaign. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the the mechanic for the first act is you get some clues, and then you can spend clues to spawn a, a brotherhood uh, cultist, similar to Midnight Masks. Yeah, and then you have to go like either kill them or there's like a parlay, and then when you defeat them, you get to flip them over and you can defeat some story text. Uh, a lot of story text. There's definitely a lot of story text, and then on the back of each card, uh, it has like a a bonus task you can do to reduce the um, strength of the abyss, which is like a mechanic from both these scenarios that uh, you want to kind of prevent from getting too high because it makes uh, several things more difficult in the scenario. One of the one of the big ones being the skull uh token is like minus x where x is the strength of the abyss <laughs> which is brutal. yeah we should we should talk more about that so that's this kind of number that is kind of like a constant environmental factor in both of these scenarios and it's it's kind of hard to it doesn't go up or down very often like there's specific things that trigger it uh but it definitely if it gets too high it makes a lot of things worse partly because of the skull and also because there's a lot of effects on cards that are test you know something x where x is the strength of the abyss or something like that um there's one enemy where if it attacks you during enemy phase it does x damage where x is the strength of the abyss so obviously which can be insane you know, most of the time when we were playing it it was at least at three so that's an extremely dangerous uh thing to worry about yeah so i like that mechanic though i think it's pretty cool and i think that they did a pretty good job of setting up ways for it to go up and down and setting up things that trigger when it goes up or down Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I definitely like that part of the scenario because there's also a lot of places where like you have to decide like oh is it worth investing the time to try and like lower the strength of the abyss or it's right. like eh, is it okay that's three right now or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also yeah. there's also like encounter cards that like sit in your threat area until the strength of the abyss goes down. Those are brutal, honestly. Yeah. They're pretty bad. Yeah. That's the, the slumber we mentioned already, and there's a uh, another one. Uh, I don't remember what the name is. What, what is it? 
Dark Sacrifice. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. Th- yes. Uh, <laughs> and that like does damage every time the strength of this goes up. So it's like makes makes it even worse whenever it goes up. Yeah, kind of similar to the way that Blood on the Altar works too. They have a taken by the abyss kind of a mechanic where if you can have allies that are taken by the abyss, I think. And when they're when yeah. when they're taken, I think they're just gone, right? That, that, that's how that works. I we didn't actually have any. I don't think in any of our playthroughs we've ever had anybody taken by the. We didn't. Abyss. Yeah, that never happened because it only it only triggers on certain things. Yeah. In the second scenario, I was pretty close to having to let uh, Milan Christopher get taken by the abyss, but Same. I didn't quite get there. Yeah. It would have been much more grave if Olive was taken. Honestly, I think that if they get <laughs> taken by the abyss in the first scenario, maybe you can't use them in the second one, and then depending on the resolution of the second one, you can either get in the back or not. Yeah. Yeah. It was get. kind of a cool variation of that. It's not. It's not quite as bad as building the altar where uh, you're playing Ash campete and duke gets sacrificed and then you're just like well i guess i just don't play this character anymore because duke's dead worst case scenario he's the hero of the show it kind Um, of feels like they've they've figured out that the thing that will really scare us and really raise the stakes is taking away our cards permanently like you know if you just die it's fine you just come back in the next scenario with with the trauma but oh no my good ally that my whole deck depends on just disappears that's yeah, what's yeah. Scary. yeah that's <laughs> right? definitely terrifying it's it's further observed by the new weakness that came out in the um in the circle and done right they also have a, a weakness now that just pulls things out of your deck forever <laughs> well not forever but no for the game but that can it can definitely be very bad if it hits what your key ally yeah. or key weapon or yeah key so so yeah. i do i i think that that there's some merit in that too I think that's also a good explanation of why you guys seem to like the strength of the abyss so much. It's something else that they realize that they can kind of amp up the the kind of drama of a scenario, right? It's like you're not just counting doom or like X number of turns, but you have this other thing that's going up or down that's affecting yeah, you. Yeah. And I agree, it definitely made it more tense. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that was apparent in the depths of Yoth, I think. It was it was mm. kind of a similar thing where they had a depth meter and, and it was it kind of added a cool layer uh to that scenario. But I think that this one played with with that extra environmental factor pretty well. Yeah. Have you played Depths of Yoth, Alex? Have you gotten that far in Forgotten Age? Um, no, I've only played uh, the first two two parts of the Forgotten Age with Dane, and then he told me he would never play any more Forgotten Age with me because it's what I'm playing <laughs> So I guess I've never wow. played the rest of the Forgotten Age. <laughs> see, see, this is too bad because Depth, Depths of Yoth is like the sixth or seventh scenario or something. It's oh, yeah, no, it sounded great. He told me what happens. Like, and yeah. I was like, oh, I want to play that. Uh, but yeah, I guess yeah. I won't. It is very so. good. <laughs> we can play it. We can play it. Uh, I felt like Guardi- the this, these two scenarios we just did actually took uh, several mechanics from Forgotten Age. Yes. Uh, one of them being the explore mechanic. Mm, yeah. So, like, after the first act, uh, you try to talk to as many people as you can, and then uh, as soon as the, I think, the agenda advances, it also advances the act, uh, if you haven't gotten all six before that, or and then vice versa, if you get all six, I think it also event, uh, advances the agenda. Then you immediately are like, oh, uh, create an explore deck. Uh, you need to venture out into the desert to find clues about the Brotherhood. Yeah, yep. So it introduces the Explore mechanic, which I think we talked about before, but basically there's a there's a deck of locations that you don't know which ones they are, and there's some treachery cards mixed in, and you have to draw a card from the top of that deck uh, to try to find discover the locations uh, in order to like build the map that way, rather than being like static. So I I can't remember. I felt like the Explore mechanic was... 
better than average in Forgotten Age. Um, or sorry, better than average in this scenario compared to Forgotten Age. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't really love it in yeah. Forgotten Age, although it, it was a cool idea. I think it this is kind of like a better implementation of it, yes, I would say. exactly. I was going to kind of say, yeah. I liked how they separated it. It kind of felt like two acts where first you're in town kind of scrambling to find things and you have a chance to kind of be included in in what's going on in the environment before you you have this this new deck tacked on with all these kind of spooky things that are happening out in the wilderness it kind of helps to create two different environments over the course of that one scenario um which i think that that was something that would have definitely helped the first scenario in forgotten age a lot because you're kind of just dropped in the first a tent basically and then told to leave i'm trying to figure out why i liked it better in this than compared to Forgotten age because it other than boundary beyond it's basically the same yeah uh, in terms of like you know i honestly think it's largely just the novelty of it yeah which is like it's not a bad mechanic if it's a couple of scenarios but the fact that we had to do it like four or five times in forgotten age often with pretty much the same deck with most of the same stuff in it it just kind of got old but i i do like it in this scenario i also think that uh was it only i don't think it was only boundary beyond i think some of the other forgotten age scenarios had requirements to explore that could be really annoying like in order to explore from this location you must x or whatever and i think there was less of that in in guardians of the abyss although still maybe a tiny they had it in like there's like one location where it costs like two resources to explore yeah but but we were all greek characters so it's like oh whatever i guess i guess i'll be (laughs) down to down to uh, oh no i'm gonna drop into single digits uh (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know i liked it again maybe maybe the treacheries were slightly less punishing than in uh front age as well right uh at least the ones that were in the in the uh at least the ones that were in the explore deck they can be far worse if you're not managing the strength of the abyss if you're not managing the strength of the abyss very well they can be pretty brutal one thing that i remember you guys say about the saying about the forgotten age is that they kept testing kind of the same things over and over again too in the treacheries and i think for this one the treacheries that were in the explore uh with the explore deck were they tested different things, right? There was like a will test, yeah, and, a, and, and agility, there was like a foot test. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it, it also just wasn't punishing you if you were really bad at something over and over and over again for just trying to build the map out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what did you think of the? What did you think of the second part of the scenario, Alex? Uh, so the second, uh, the second, second part, act where we had to start exploring the desert. Where to start exploring the desert? Yeah, I I enjoyed it, and I, and I think it's a good indicator that I probably haven't played that much of the Forgotten Age. That I find think this whole exploration uh, deck kind of really novel, and yeah. and kind of and enjoyable in lots of ways because mm-hmm. it does it does slow you down a little bit in a way that doesn't feel like it's artificially slowing you down, right? But like that you're just getting the locations that you get, and you kind of have to find the right ones in the right order to get to where you might want to end up going. I think one thing that they didn't they didn't really seem to have here that I would have appreciated more is the idea of using that to build in things like dead ends, oh, yeah. um, where you really end up going a place that you don't you don't want to go. I mean, not because it punishes you, but just it takes you too far away from where you're trying to ultimately head. Yeah, that kind of happened a little bit in the Forgotten Age, and I remember when we we're t- kind of talking in the Forgotten Age episodes that ultimately feels like the the prototype to the explore mechanic was the catacombs in Paris in in Carcosa was the first mm-hmm. like indication of of that that system kind of coming to be and in that there are definitely dead ends as well which was a really cool theme yeah. like yeah. for that specific scenario but yeah i do agree that that would have been kind of neat to see some sort of like sand obscured barren 
you know, wasteland that just goes on forever that you know that you just don't want to be at kind of a thing would be pretty cool. Or a forgotten tomb that's completely inconsequential. I really like that idea, actually, uh, that you might investigate into something and be like, nope, this is nothing. This, <laughs> right. is, this isn't it. You messed it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a wild goose chase. It's a boondoggle. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I bet, yeah, I bet in the 20s people would have said boondoggle. I bet that's oh, yeah. Like, that's oh, yeah. Like, uh, that's where yeah. that came from. Well, in the, in, in the context of the scenario, right, you're working with uh, more normative Egyptologists, right, who are just there looking to, like, loot tombs. Yeah. So it oh, also yeah. makes sense for them to be like, oh, you found a tomb. You think this is definitely it? And you're like, nope. But the people you're with are so happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the third act of the first scenario, uh, like after you've explored around the desert, uh, in like the corners of the desert, you can find stuff that helps you like manage the strength of the abyss, but it's like, it has like hard mechanics to like trigger those. But uh, once you explore the desert, uh, if you explore everything, uh, you can arrange it in the shape of a pyramid. So I was actually wrong. There is Egyptian pyramids. <laughs> <Whoa. Whoa. laughs> so meta. Then the third act... I think uh, like a boss spawns. She's like a priestess or something. Uh, Nath. Yeah, yeah. She's a she's like a priestess or something. And there's a bunch of people sleeping in the city, and you have to like decide between like trying to like lure her out of the city so you can fight her, or fighting her in the city. Uh, and if you fight her in the city, she like kills off uh, the people sleeping whenever you do damage to her until there's no people sleeping at her spot. And and we should mention they're not just regular sleeping; they're spooky magic. Sleeping. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. They're in a deep slumber. Or you can also like uh, try to get back into the city and like try to wake the people up through like uh, like willpower or intelligence tests. So there's like three different ways to like deal with her. I like it too because the way that they did those were f- more designed for seekers and people who generally wouldn't be able to have sustained action versus kind of a boss sequence. In, in in other cases, like the experiment that got unleashed in Dunwich, that kind of a thing, where they kind of have one shot, like I've got a plan and that's it. This kind of provides them a way to do sustained damage and, and kind of work with the way that the scenario goes to kind of defeat her, which was cool too, I think, because Finn was able to help out by waking people up, which which directly impacted her health. Yeah, and it was a neat way to make the geometry and the locations kind of matter because it was if you want to fight her, you want to have her on a location without dreamers, and if you want to get dreamers, you got to move around. Yeah, you kind of have to lure her away, and it was a cool, cool boss fight. Definitely uh, tries to make use of that whole giant map, which is definitely like <laughs> thirteen locations, I think. Yes, uh, it's, is, it was it, huge. I think it might be the biggest map it's... aside from maybe uh, Pallid Mask. And I think that that's really yeah, maybe it's only twelve, but it's real big. I think that's really where, like, for me uh fatigue kind of set in not to not to make a pun about, <laughs> about them sleeping but it was it was that it was three acts right this one yeah. and i understand that originally this when this was played it was played just this stand as a standalone this first scenario but it's long and you feel like you're moving and moving and you're doing the right things and suddenly oh no there's a boss and, and now you have to do i agree with what they said i think like different things that are interesting that keep all the characters kind of active but it's like more new different things to do and as when i was we were playing it i was kind of like oh is this ever gonna end or i'm gonna get like do oh, yeah. this? like another <laughs> boss i have to fight or we have to like go back to the desert yeah pack pack your pathfinders pack your elusives because <laughs> you're gonna be moving a lot yeah. we were happy to have eight elusives yeah. in this in this scenario track shoes. Yeah, so track I, shoes, I, I kind of wonder what i would have thought of it if i'd just been told oh this is the scenario that we're gonna play I mean, not from you guys, but like mm-hmm. if I had been in the, uh, I think, what was it, at Gen Con when they played it the first time or wherever they did. Yeah, Gen and Con like, and then later to the invocation events. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is all you're going to do. Like, oh, I think that that would have felt a lot more manageable. But thinking like, 
this is part one of a two-part thing. This is like, this is never-ending. It's almost like parts one, two, and three of a four-part thing. We were going to try to play them both back-to-back on the same day on Tabletop Simulator, and we found that, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, the first one took us more than four hours, I think, maybe even close to five. So. Oh, yeah, no, it went, it went, it went from day, distinctly daytime to definitely nighttime. <laughs> I had, a, I had, so I had a recording initially planned for it, and, and I seriously doubt that anybody would want to watch five hours of a playthrough, but it was definitely five hours long. <laughs> and only, and only one hour of that was me not understanding Tabletop Simulator right. and flipping the table for whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, the first scenario definitely uh it definitely has like a different gimmick in each like each act and maybe maybe it was a bit too much to cram into one scenario. I would say I know I would say I know we were going to talk about this uh in more depth later maybe, but compared to the first invocation event uh scenario the labyrinth, labyrinth of Lunacy, I think it this is a standalone probably would have felt more fulfilling cuz it was a little bit beefier and a little bit longer and you get to do more kind of different varied things so yeah for sure in that regard i think like it's probably a, a good step in the direction for thinking about how to do these standalone campaigns especially around like having events like invocations yeah yeah i think that's right it does do a good job of showing off uh the large variety of mechanics that <laughs> our game can offer uh, it's a so good like, little vertical slice yeah of, so like uh, if you're, card if you're game. playing it for the first time you, you know you definitely get a good taste of like all the flavors or a lot of them at least yeah um but so we, we kind of started talking about the or, or I, I guess that was the boss of sort of the first scenario the second scenario uh, i'm trying to remember how it starts ben you're the one that usually sets stuff up so you probably remember better than me so there's like a transition between the scenarios story-wise that uh i feel like every time i read it i've forgotten to read like a paragraph but like <laughs> the first scenario you're like trying to help a woman um I think Jesse and her husband's fallen asleep yes. and she's like, uh, everybody's falling asleep and now my husband's asleep and I'm worried he'll never wake up as long as, you know, all these other people, but I don't, you know, mainly my husband, uh, come, come help yeah, out. He, he was very, <laughs> and depending how you do in the scenario, you either like successfully wake everyone up or they're like, they're still asleep, but either way you like move on to try to like hunt down the, the brotherhood of the beast or whatever the evil cult is called. But then the second scenario starts off with you joining an expedition Yes. to like go into the desert to like further investigate the brotherhood and you're like trying to find uh like a portal or a gateway to like uh to the domain of the the spooky cthulhu the sand zone, zone. oh the abyss <laughs> that's, that's, what, yes. that's the name of the that's the name of the stereo pack yeah you're, you're trying to find a way to the abyss to to wake everyone up it's not the spooky cthulhu it, it's a it's a type of cthulhu you know it's a, a <laughs> endless void of the unknown that's basically the same yeah same thing so you start off uh joining this expedition so you're back at the beginning of the desert and you do just start with like one location and the explore deck and you're kind of exploring the same desert that you were exploring in like act two of scenario one so that's a it's a little bit repetitive that in that capacity i think i think the encounter deck is mostly the same as well yes yeah yeah but you don't have the breather room of like you start off in the city and like the super scary monsters are not mixed into the deck yet. So you're more just like out in the desert on your own and you have to start exploring. Um, and when we played it this time, uh, I think we started drawing monsters very quickly. Yes. Uh, when we, <laughs> we were not totally set up yet. <laughs> so that, that made it a little spicy. I think at, we made heavy use of the rogue's ability to evade stuff. Oh yeah. A lot in this second scenario uh, until we eventually got skids got to have his moment. <laughs> oh yes it's a moment in the sun yeah uh you know i learned if you don't if you don't start off with ace of swords beat cop and machete it is much harder to kill <laughs> right away 
So, uh, so, I, so I took a lot of damage, and then I eventually threw a dynamite that killed two things, which I guess isn't even that great when I say it out loud. <laughs> and and very, very harshly wounded two other things. Did it kill three things? No, no Dave had, killed the other we ones. Had, <laughs> yeah. No, we had four monsters there, didn't yep, we? Yeah, I killed two. <laughs> one, of them, one of them had five health, another one had four health. <laughs> it killed two and did a lot of damage to two more, so that was pretty And I went and then cleaned up afterwards. I think I threw that dynamite and then I ran away from monsters because I was already at so much damage. I mean, definitely not as perfectly on theme for skids as I'll see you in hell, I think, but, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, we we did forget to mention in the first scenario, uh, you definitely used dynamite to kill the boss. Yes. Right? Oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh, I yeah. yeah. It, it also killed. It also killed Dade. Well, it didn't kill um, me. It saves the day. <laughs> yeah. It was a. It was a. Dade, Dade asked me to do it. That's what it saved me. I was. I he was heroically holding back the the boss and her saber. I think. I think he said everybody has to go eat dinner now. So can you blow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was true and we did it. Um, no but but it, we we were doing that thing where we if dane was willing to just die we had a pretty much guaranteed win on right. that turn and if not then we could wait one more turn and we would be in danger if we drew scary stuff from the encounter deck but if we survived we could probably win the next turn and dane like a like a champ like a like a pro said you know what guys just hit me with that hit me with that goddamn dynamite because i'm ready and he was and and we did just like all the good the the greatest people in history have, have done. oh yeah yeah i mean that's that's uh that's how the uh that's how the civil war was won. for their country for their craft that's that's how it happens go find a stick of dynamite please don't please don't we're not condoning using dynamite on yourself so, yeah the second stereo uh exploring the exploring the desert is is it's cool again i mean it uses the same cards so we've seen most of them i think in the first scenario we didn't actually we explored we ended up exploring like kind of like uh i guess the left half of the map based on how we orientated <laughs> it and this one we kind of explored the right half so it was like mostly different in terms of which locations we looked at yeah so it it worked out well for us there was just we were just swarmed by monsters the whole time uh yeah. <laughs> this, this time and then uh i think uh the transition is like uh when the agenda flips you find the gate or something yeah well when the agenda flips like the any brotherhood enemies uh that you failed to interrogate in the first act of the first scenario show up again and then we dynamited them uh, and then and then when you spend the clues you like mix uh the gate card into the explore deck and then when you find the gate you like get to jump through it as you do and when you do that you like do a board wipe uh where you like wipe out the whole map and you put a new map down which is i don't know if you do that in any other scenario i was trying to think uh maybe that's the off <laughs> you do it in i mean carnival, carnival of yeah. Wars at the yep. end oh uh, yeah yeah carnival yeah. uh well that one doesn't really give you a, a yeah. totally new map you just it get a boat you, a, you get a, a boat. boat it does it's just the new map is only <laughs> one card so. and an angry monster uh, whose yeah. name you could never pronounce yeah yeah no, no impossible to pronounce it's one of the scariest <laughs> things about it i just want to point out that is another scenario where people are sleeping right uh, uh, i don't think so they're like in a crazed Italian trance. They're, of they're sorts. in more of like a trance. I yeah. think once the boat stuff happens, everybody's asleep and you're like frantically rowing away and hopefully going to wake everybody up <laughs> too. That's my memory. <laughs> I don't know the actual theme of when you're in your boat. You like try to save some people. You throw them in a boat and then you're rowing away to like save those people. <laughs> I don't think anyone's asleep. Yeah, you're you're leading the big monster away from the city. Yeah, maybe I misremember it. Getting getting back to Egypt though. So yeah, so after we do the kind of board wipe. You end up in a new area where there's a big spooky guy who's kind of the boss kind of in the center. And then there's these little areas around. Um, there's multiple locations where you have to try to collect clues and do some kind of a task to flip them and read what's on the back. Yeah. What's kind of interesting about it is you can decide two different ways to try to 
you could try to decide between two different endings you want to go for. Similar to like, uh, I guess a lot of stuff in Carcosa where you like picked one or two paths and you got a different resolution. And I suppose if this was a ongoing campaign, that would matter uh, in terms of like consequences for future ones. But in this one, it's just like um, you can basically choose to like try to like join up with the boss uh, and like be his minions and just be like, oh yeah, uh, we're going to team up. We'll make everyone go to sleep and we'll take over the abyss. Or you can try to like oppose the boss and like uh, team up with the creatures that live in this this realm that you're in uh, to like defeat him. Which is obviously the cool and correct noble thing. Right, to do. that's obviously the good guy ending. Um, yeah, yeah, I do know the first time we played this, uh, you know, a couple months ago, I was playing Zoe, and the reward the reward if you team up with him is definitely like a giant a giant knife, which some would call yeah. a sword, <laughs> but you know, it's really a knife. Uh, so I was definitely tempted to not to not do that, but in the end, I think uh, God guided my path and we killed him. But <laughs> there is there is precedent for a lone hero going off into the desert to be tempted by an evil spirit before uh deciding to to avoid that temptation yeah right so what'd you think of the last part alex uh of the scenario um well uh, i think compared to the amount of effort it took to get rid of the the boss of the first part this boss was remarkably easier to handle <laughs> maybe given our party composition but not really i mean you know uh a the number of the locations have pretty low shroud i would say and um so was a good example of how skids could effectively find clues to help us w- win the game. Streetwise, um, the tasks were interesting but pretty easy to to handle. I think we were only in that that part of the game for I want to say like maybe four game turns. I think just three game turns, honestly. Well, and not to you know not to obviously uh, blow up Finn's whole whole outsized role and the whole thing, but that's a scenario where having somebody who can evade stuff really well is really good because you literally can't kill the guy by putting damage on him at least not immediately. So you're really the best way to handle him is to just yeah, evade him every yeah. turn. And I was just kind of sitting on him using two pickpocketings, evading him with my free evade action every turn, getting cards and money, using those cards and money to evade him next turn. <laughs> that's, you know, and that's, that's like pretty good. If you can do that, if, if we hadn't had somebody who was able to evade in our case, we actually had multiple people that could do it. It would have been a lot harder. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it really tells you that this scenario was designed for an all green playthrough. I mean, that's what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They, yeah. I, I think maybe that's they wanted to emphasize. You know, you think this is wrong, but sometimes four <laughs> people with feet are better than four people with fists. There you go. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, but I think I did like that the choices you had to make. I like that you could start having to make those choices without full knowledge of what the implications might be, and that that might force you into doing things you don't end up wanting to do because you've made previous choices. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. I think it was interesting enough as a way to end the game. And I kind of appreciated that it didn't necessarily have to take that that long as a boss fight. Since it Mm -hmm. is a standalone thing that you, for most people, you're probably going to play as part of a longer campaign, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know personally, I think I like the second scenario of the standalone duo a lot better than the first one. I agree. I think pacing's a lot better in the second one. Oh, yeah. It feels a little bit more intense in the back half, the final act. Yeah. You know, I think we actually had a decent amount of breathing room, but it definitely felt like, oh, we got to do this as fast as we can. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for that was because uh, in order to do the the ending where he uh, we defeat him without actually having to fight him and do tons and tons of damage to him, you need the strength of the abyss to be like a certain level. But if you take too long, mm-hmm. you risk it uh, going up 
right. above that threshold. Yes. And then you have to agree to play along with him or because you've kind of lost the... Yeah. Or you have to do like 25 damage to him or something before playing. <laughs> oh, yeah, we wouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't actually have to do damage to him because we had managed to keep the Strength of the Abyss at like two or three before we entered that phase. Right, right. And if we did have to do damage to him, that would have been pretty hard for our group, I think. Yeah. So our strategy of constantly evading him and running away... Uh, and picking up clues and then like setting free some monsters to chase him down uh, worked it worked out pretty all right yeah there you go yeah i mean i i would agree that i think the second one is a little bit better but i don't know if we're kind of segueing into giving our thoughts on the the scenario pack as a whole i i definitely really like it i like the egyptian theme i think that neither one of these scenarios is like revolutionary and does totally new and different things but they're very fun as kind of like a drop-in experience like playing both in one day is a little bit tough if you have four people but either one of them i think makes like a good a good standalone thing if you only have time for one and you can definitely mix both of them in as kind of like a little mini side quest adventure into a longer campaign i i I definitely like these a lot same yeah 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 i think that one of the one of the reasons though that we've kind of gotten into doing uh side scenarios which and by side scenarios i i probably more just mean carnival of horrors because it's it's for me the most fun the most exciting and also the rewards are great in this there are rewards and kind of like those are always for me the uh the exciting part of like ooh, what did we get what did we get what did we, you know depending on this depending on the, <laughs> the way that you go you can choose somebody can choose to add something to the deck, things like that um so in this one you get an you get a choice between an ally or a um a medallion which which takes up your uh amulet slot and then on the, in the in the second scenario you get the choice of the like ben mentioned earlier a huge badass sword or a night god friend who will help you evade things and is probably very good with rita so if anybody is playing rita and doesn't actually need me to write read any of these things just know that you want a night got friend to help evade enemies and fly across maps. <laughs> yeah, she, def- that definitely would work pretty solid with Rita. I should know that you don't actually get to choose those rewards. It's Those are what you get based on the how you decide to resolve each exactly. scenario. Yeah, yeah. Like whether you team up with the guy or you defeat him in the second one. And in the first one, it's like, like if, I don't remember exactly what makes that decision. It's if, whether if, Oh, you, you make a decision in the resolution to either like wake everybody up or like uh it's either killing neath or letting her live oh, or and telling her go and getting her, more information yeah, from her or exactly yeah 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 something like that and we we killed her right i think that's what we did yep yeah, oh yeah we, we murdered her straight her. on the spot just just like a bunch of rogues <laughs> we tied her to the front of that train and sent her straight to death i'm, yeah. I'm not sure how but we, <laughs> you did, yeah. we did it by waking people up we did oh we did we fight her at the train station i think we did <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that um the way that the scenarios play out are is is great in terms of just having these be two scenarios and where you're starting from a f- huge map of 13 places that you can arrange in the form of a pyramid to five tiny little things in a com- or five tiny little locations in a completely different dimension you know it's like everything feels much more mm-hmm. constrained that you are walking for five hours across a desert earlier with your friends on tabletop simulator uh but the, the <laughs> second one took about two two and a half hours i think kind of all all shenanigans aside setting everything up so wasn't too bad yeah it was something close to average yeah a little bit more reasonable so so that i think our style of play sometimes slows things down a little bit because we usually <laughs> like to try to talk about strategy and stuff but a oh, lot. Uh, <laughs> we make the cards really big and uh annoy you no 
that's just that's just uh, you guys have been bored, got bored for a second, and want to mess with tabletop simulators, weird physics. Table table flipping was off the table, so OCD. we needed other other dimensions. Yeah. And well, yeah, if you if you have anyone in your playgroup that is at all childish or just a goofy tabletop simulator, is going to give them a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. to. Uh, you know, keep keep themselves busy. So I was going to try to mention uh, if there was any cool art in the scenario because I know we like to chat about the art. The art on the scenarios is all great. I think um, it's pretty much all cool. Yeah, it's all yeah, great. A lot of it's really neat. Yeah, that's all. Like very the, good. some of the desert locations have some pretty cool art. Like the wherever the Sphinx is is pretty cool. Yes, and I think a lot of the art in the uh, like when you go into the dreamlands. And a lot cool. of it is reused from Elder Chore and from the Call of Cthulhu LCG and et cetera, which is, you know, it's part of I think yeah. they did a really good job in, in they always do this in, in scenarios. Like I think in, in the Forgotten Age, it was more of like a green and purple sort of wash over the whole thing. This is a lot more of like oranges and yellows and very dry sort of feeling art. And I think that it goes over really it well. It has that kind of like orange and light blue kind of aura from all the movie posters. Yeah, definitely. It, it feels very much like you're in the desert and you can kind of feel, you know, the sandstorms, the swarms of locusts and the horrible things that are coming out of sarcophagi and chasing you across the map um, very slowly. I noticed that several of these Dreamlands locations have quotes of the from the Dreamland quest of Unknown Kadath. Is that the one where there's like a cat that hangs out with you the whole time and talks yes. to you? Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, there, oh, there's multiple Cause, cats. Because there is no yeah. cat in this scenario, so I no. think that means there's still good potential that we'll have to go back to Egypt yeah. or at least the Dreamlands and find a cat. Dreamlands <laughs> would be cool. A different cat than what Carolyn has, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So overall, uh, I do like both scenarios. I like the second one a little bit more, uh, just because of the the pacing uh, is pretty cool. I definitely liked playing through both, and we've played through both several times now, and I'd play through it several more times for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say I've I've had the good fortune in some ways, maybe, to have played all of these standalone campaigns now. Um, now that we I've played this these two parts of the Egypt campaign, and have have you played them all exactly once? I think that might I be the case. I think I've played them all once. Yeah, no, I've played them all once, and um, these were enjoyable, and I could imagine wanting to play them again. I uh, I don't know that I'd want to play like set up a, like have to commit so much time to play the one after the other again <laughs> and this is the first part of this takes so much time that it might i don't know when you'd want to disrupt playing something else that you're doing to do to do it and one thing that really stuck out to me is you know, i kind of already talked about this a little bit but as an invocation i think the first one's really interesting because it has a real potential to leave the people who are playing it i'm sure plenty of people felt this way like kind of confused because here you've done spent all this time and energy and you haven't even finished really the story and there's this other story you're supposed to go find and play, which I guess is maybe good because you're like want to do it. But um, if there's one downside, I thought to to the way that they did this, to having these kind of like two separate things and having one be so long, um, especially around the invocation, it was that. But by comparison, because I did play at the Labyrinths of Ludus, the invocation event, um, I found that campaign to be really boring. The, when, <laughs> when, when I was involved in it. Uh, the room that I the room that I was successful uh, successively and like nothing happened in it really there was like no weird choices and I would go talk to people and they'd be like oh we were doing all this crazy stuff and I was like yeah like we did the thing it was fine and also you divided people up and that ultimately wasn't as much fun as having this I know uh, maybe there was other ways to do it but I like the I like that this was just a normal kind of four person campaign um, and it wasn't trying to play around with too many things where you might have really variable play experience. Yeah, labyrinths. I would definitely maybe classify as like an ambitious, interesting experiment, and this is more of just like a classic 
Arkham Horror experience. I think it's like a much smarter way to try to get people who aren't playing to have a good experience playing the game and see why you might want to play more of it. Yeah, definitely. Just because I know we said we were going to talk about it a little bit, I did want to say, having, like I said, I've played all of these. I know you guys have played all of them more than me, probably. But uh, it still wasn't nearly as, as good as I think uh, the Venice the Venice standalone campaign was. Carnival of Horror. That one's hard to beat. Yeah. That's like the high water mark. Yeah. Yeah, I found that yeah. much more, it was much more complicated in some ways to me, and it was much more interesting. And it was also, it was a lot shorter, which was nice. Like you, more compact. Yeah, you can easily play yeah. it and play some other scenarios, I feel like, in a, in a, like a play session. Yeah, I am. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to see them make more of these, though. It seems like maybe we're on pace for like one or two a year. And, you know, back when the game first came out, we would play Ruguru a lot just because there were very few scenarios available. <laughs> so it's sort of like every time we did Dunwich, we would throw in Ruguru and then Carnival just because that was the only campaign. So you wanted to kind of stretch it out. Now we have a lot more options. I think it's really cool that eventually we could have like a dozen of these and you'd kind of pick from them to make like a playlist of kind of a weird mishmash campaign. That's cool. And that you could pick like, oh, depending on the characters we're playing, depending on which campaign we're doing, here's like the standalone, here's like the side quest that makes the most sense for this campaign. I think that having access to choices like that is really cool. Yeah, as long as it really isn't often the Rougarou, which I found to be very, very boring and mainly that one's kind of a slug. mainly just like you could not do anything and just leave <laughs> spend yeah. some experience and time <laughs> and like i don't know when we played it i, I sunk into the in the swamp and we never found the werewolf really i think thematically i like that one a lot more than it actually plays out in in terms of enjoyment just because it's in the spooky bayou of louisiana and that's a very typical place for love lovecraftian kind of things to be in general i think they did a pretty good job with how the how the locations are set up and things like that but it altogether just feels way like nothing feels as connected as it should feel in in the way that like carnival does and and things like that yeah i i agree that carnival is the is the high bar it's really great uh, I also do really like Rugaloo. Maybe maybe we, you guys just played it a lot. I, I definitely played a lot too. But I I like the I like the theme around it. I like the you have to oh we can just kill it or we can try to like cure him options. And I do I like the trying to manipulate uh where he's gonna run based on like if you're gonna either when you fight him because he always runs away to I figure out if it's either farthest from investigators or like a place without a clue. But it's farthest from like, an encounter right? card you have to like prepare for. So I like trying to manipulate running him around, and also, obviously, you have to try to get all the victory points while manipulating him <laughs> to run to the right location. Yeah, it is kind of a weird puzzle. Yeah, so I like that strategy aspect of Ruguru. Well, I mean, I only have played it once, so maybe once I can think of another deck that's going to drive you crazy for me to build, uh, we can play it in, in Ruguru. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm down for that. I mean, I, oh, I like this game more than a lot of other games, and I'm certainly down to play even things that I don't enjoy as much in this game more than many other board games, so... Yeah, it's it's all good. Like even even the ones that we're not that crazy about, we still love this game and we'll still yes. happily play them. <laughs> we will still happily play uh Ruguru into the Forgotten Age somewhere. <laughs> good. I I'm, I'm holding yeah. you to that, dude. I mean, you can make a stop in Louisiana on the way to Mexico. I regret it already. Thematically, it works perfectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Louisiana is kind of on the way from Arkham to Mexico. <laughs> I think so, that's kind yeah. of a legitimate point though uh, that you brought up. Uh, a lot of there there are a lot of conflicting opinions about how people inject these into scenarios. I know that some oh, there are some strange ways that people have have thought to do them, and I don't mean strange with any negative connotation. I think that the way people do them is a very creative thing. I wish I could remember how they do them, but we had a, there there was kind of a, a thread on Facebook about how people kind of 
want to push them into it because you're right it's definitely strange on on the eve of uh umordoth summoning you can just kind of you know take take five and head to louisiana and and become a werewolf and then fly over to venice to to do that as well yeah but see even that just reminds me of like playing final fantasy games or whatever and when you're right before the end and you're about to affect <laughs> the final boss that's when you go off to like explore the weird underwater oh, yeah. research lab or something that has nothing to do with the main story five hours five hours of grinding yeah <laughs> yeah exactly like okay we're, we're about to prevent the world from being destroyed this is the time i should go collect all of the special magic yeah, weapons exactly and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so I think now now that that kind of wraps up our whole Egyptian expedition, for those who have played it, what do you guys think of Guardians of the Abyss? Are you inspired to play a team of all rogue investigators with your whole playgroup? Because it is... Emerald Challenge! We didn't get to do it, but I still want to... You handle this eight times around uh, <laughs> until somebody gets stuck with it. We we definitely made heavy use of that. <laughs> you handle this. <laughs> <laughs> this scenario yeah, oh yeah safita yeah, sure had a lot a, of will tests it, <laughs> she it's had a very fun card yeah because yeah. safita is the only rogue that can actually pass will tests so it's great so whatever your experience is please comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at miskatonic university radio at gmail.com but for now thanks for listening guys and we'll see you next time bye 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 oh and we forgot to thank alex for joining us that's yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs>